Good morning, everybody. You all are sounding good this morning. Wonderful. Let's see, as I peruse the crowd here this morning, we have a young lady here, Diana. So good to have you back with us this morning. And Bruce and Francis, good to have you all with us too. What a blessing it is. Right here, just about Easter time. And those of you who are joining us online, we're glad to have you also. So what a joy it is to be together this morning. Quite a few announcements, so if you listen carefully, uh, some most of these you've heard already over the last several weeks, but there are a couple of things that are new, so make sure that you're paying attention here. Uh, youth gathering tonight at 6 p.m. We are currently watching The Chosen and uh, enjoying that very much. If you haven't seen that, you should join tonight also with Neil and Thea and family and friends downstairs uh, during uh, the 7 p.m. hour as they're watch- they've already watched the first two episodes tonight will be three and four. And by the way, if you missed the first two, you don't have to have seen those to enjoy this, the others. Uh, you can come and enjoy those just as much, okay? So plan on being there. I think you had a good crowd last week, yeah? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Also, Thea's asked me to announce that there is a playground meeting for those of you who are interested in helping out with the playground. Uh, again, as springtime now is upon us, Wednesday night at 6 p.m., and then also the talking of uh, doing a story time. Uh, one of the things that Thea had in her mind was to possibly offer a story time for the people of the community uh, back here in the back. Wouldn't that be cool to be able to just call parents aside if they want to join or have their kids join for a little bit? But they want to talk about all that Wednesday night at 6 p.m., just a short meeting before we begin our second series or our new study of in our discipleship uh, in action which will be a study by Alistair Begg this time. We'll start again at 6.30, and the study is going to be My Times Are In Your Hands from Psalm 31. I thought that would be a very appropriate study for us. Alistair Begg, a great, great teacher. And so, uh, by the way, if you want a book, I should have a few of those left. Most of the class has already picked up one, but if you want one of those to join with us, then you're more than welcome. Just see me afterwards. Our Easter schedule is as such. Actually, let me give you the Palm Sunday schedule. Missy gave me this this morning. This is next Sunday already. If your kids would like to carry a palm down the aisle, please meet Missy in the back of the church at 1025 to get a palm. That would be next Sunday. Okay. If you want your kids to just start out the celebration of Easter next Sunday, we're going to do that. Just to be a five-minute little celebration here at the opening of the service next week, uh, those services. So if you want them to join, well, I guess for specifically for the 1030 service, it would be at 1025. So just the 1030 service. Okay, you can uh, ask if you have more questions about that. Now, again, just for clarity, Easter schedule for Easter Sunday morning will be a 9 a.m. worship gathering. Uh, That's going to be downstairs. We'll be having breakfast. We'll also be having some testimonies and a time of prayer. And so we'd love for you to join us with that or for that. Uh, There will be no 9 a.m. service upstairs, so if you normally come to the 9 a.m. service, there's not going to be a service at that time. We'll all be downstairs. There'll be no Sunday school uh, for 9 a.m., and then only the one service at 1030, which will be in person, online, on Facebook, and on our radio station 105.9, where Hamp Hall will be the disc jockey. Or whatever they call them now. I don't know what they call them now. (laughs) 105.9. We we tested it out again this week, and it certainly reaches at least to the front doors. So we should be be good. No, I'm just kidding. It really sounds good. It works all around the parking lot here. We're trying to be really careful we don't crash any airplanes on Sunday, Easter. That would be be nice. 
So um, it's a very low-powered frequency, so a powered transmitter anyway. But it works well. It's an FM, 105.9 FM. How about that? Big-time stuff. All right, this is the last call for book collection. Those of you who have been hearing that announcement with Harvest Ministries, uh, just want to make this the last call. You can bring those books in at your leisure. Just contact me when you plan to do that. We will also get those together and make a trip down to Lynchburg to give them to the ministry so that they can buy Bibles with them. Uh, But we've been given that announcement several times, so this will be the last call for that. Uh, And then sadly, uh, by way of our our brother Rick Haggard, I just want to let you know that Miss Betty passed away last night. And so I gave, called me this morning and, and let me know. So, um, uh, and pray for Rick. I'm sure he's watching online right now. Um, but uh, we were talking just the other day. Is this is obviously a very challenging time uh, for him. You know, he spent a lot of years caring for his dad and also his mom the last seven or eight years. I think I'm accurate, Rick. You can correct me on that later. Uh, but it's uh, single-handedly almost, in fact, uh, doing that. And you can imagine taking care of a loved one very challenging. And so it's going to be a big void for Brother Rick, but uh, he loves the church and uh, we're, we're blessed to have him. So we'll be giving you more details later as uh, Rick is able to unfold some of that for us, okay? So be in prayer for them, if you will, and the family. All right. So, oh, sign up sheet. Yes, thank you, Ham. Um, if you're planning on joining us for breakfast for the worship gathering, please let us know just so we can have a better idea on what to prepare for. Okay, so that'll pass around or you can, wherever it gets left, if you don't find it, just make sure you sign it before you leave. Okay, that'll just help us a lot. All right, well, let's pray together and then we'll look at our text. Lord, again, we thank you for the joy of gathering and, and, and how, how overjoyed our hearts are, especially at this time of year as we make preparations for Easter, Palm Sunday, uh, but even just to gather together. Lord, we we find and we'll even see this morning much more clearly the necessity of being together, how you have given to us even the the human need to be together with one another, to to feel the embrace of one another. And so uh, we're trying to be careful, we're trying to be honoring, but at the same time we see from you that we need desperately the oneness that you've provided in humanity, uh, just being together. And so... Uh, We count it a real privilege to have this opportunity. And it's always a joy to meet in your name as we celebrate your resurrection. So speak to our hearts, we pray, as we listen attentively and uh, do our diligence to be the people that you want us to be, uh, even in our own hearts, but also taking the message of the gospel to others. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to begin chapter 8 of Matthew this morning. We will probably deviate, at least this is my thinking right now, uh, tomorrow and certainly on Easter Sunday, excuse me, next Sunday and certainly on Easter Sunday. But I wanted to start chapter 8 now. So would you please stand and let's honor the Lord through the reading of his word. I wanted us to go all the way through verse 15, uh, but we're not going to have near enough time to be able to do that today. So let's just look at verses 1 through 4. Large crowds followed him, and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest, and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. 
All right, amen. You may be seated. I thought it would be important this morning, since we spent so much time in the Sermon on the Mount, to go back and just uh, remind ourselves a little of an overview of where we have been from the beginning of the gospel here as Matthew gives it to us. And to do that, let's just in our minds go all the way back to the first chapter, which would be this amazing genealogy all the way back to uh, David uh, through for Joseph and Mary in their lineage. Uh, if you remember, we studied that right from the beginning, and that's how Matthew uh, begins the letter. And then we had the amazing announcement uh, by the angels of the arrival of Christ, and then soon uh, the arrival of the wise men as they uh, proclaimed uh, the good news even to Herod who wanted to kill him. Uh, but we see this um, a beautiful display of God's work. And then in Matthew chapter 3, we saw Jesus' public baptism as the Lord uh, descended upon him, if you will, in the form of a dove, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased to the onlookers, to the crowd that was watching this go on. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we were introduced to the temptation of Jesus where Satan tempts him to leave his role and uh, to follow him. And after that, Jesus hears John's arrest. After This is, of course, after his baptism. This is John the Baptist. Uh, and at that point... To which then Matthew says in verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea from beyond the Jordan. Now I wanted to just give you a little bit of a picture, if you will, for your mind on the screen this morning just to help you visualize some of these areas. I'm not going to hinge on this long, but I do want to point this out for us. And I know that you, those of you who are online can't see what I'm pointing out here, but uh, if you'll notice, at least from the map, what you can see, and you guys in the crowd can see my dot, my dot here, that this is the Dead Sea. Um, and this would be approximately where, somewhere in this region where John would do the baptism of Jesus. This is where the temptation would have occurred down in this area. And then according to what we just read, after that, Jesus makes his way north up into the region of Galilee. You'll see it right here in the, under the, the upper sea of the Sea of Galilee. And it would be there that we're going to find a lot of what's happening now in Matthew's gospel. Uh, it is where the Sermon on the Mount have occurred, somewhere over on the western shore, or perhaps maybe a little north, not quite sure there. Uh, but this is where all of this now would be transpiring. Okay, So just hopefully you have a little bit of a vision as to where we are geographically in the life of Jesus and in his work. Now, 
The reason that Matthew, if you remember all of this, the reason that Matthew is laying out all of what he is is because he's defining Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that the Jews have been looking for. And he does that through what we just said, through the qualifications. First, Jesus is qualified to be the Messiah because of his genealogy. If you remember that some time ago, that's what we studied. He is qualified because of his prophetic fulfillment as he was born in Bethlehem and as the wise men came to him. He is qualified divinely because of the father's testimony at his baptism. All of these were signs from the father to point who he is. He was qualified spiritually because of his perfect fulfillment of the temptations that Satan threw at him in the wilderness. He was qualified theologically because of his profound and incredible teaching there that we just finished on the Sermon on the Mount. And so in every way, Matthew is identifying Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, and here's how you can know. So if you want some evidence about how you can witness to a Jewish person about Jesus being the Messiah, you should record these thoughts in your mind so that you have some outline, if you will, to be able to discuss who Jesus is and why he is the Messiah. And even in addition to that now, as far as today is concerned, Matthew proves the qualifications of Jesus' Messiahship by the fact that he has the divine power to heal. He has the power even to heal. And so over the next two chapters, Matthew is going to point out nine specific miracles that Jesus performs each of them in sets of three, each of them having a response by the Jews because the Lord wants them, first of all, to know that he has come for them. He came to reach them. He came to open their hearts and help them to see who he is. But also we learn that because of God's people, the Hebrews rejecting him, he turned to the Gentiles, and you and I every time say, praise the Lord, that we now have been grafted in. We've been given the opportunity to know him. Okay, So that's where we've been. That's where Jesus has traveled. That's what's been going on. And so now let's look specifically as his, at his power to heal. I think we would all agree that in Jesus' day, medical help was extremely limited. It was there, but it was extremely limited. We have some references to the work of medicines uh, in the scripture Uh, and various medical procedures. Uh, We know that Luke was a doctor. Uh, Jesus himself referred to seeking a physician in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. And so we know that there was medical help, but it was very, very limited. In fact, many people, because of the limited uh, ability to find medical help, were people who suffered greatly in their work or in their lives, whether it would be from some internal affliction, some external affliction, uh, some dismemberment of their body. Uh, There were many people that were told in Scripture that were blind, they were lame, they couldn't hear, and, and Jesus encounters many of these people. But that was the society. And so imagine just living in that culture. Now, you and I do live in that culture, but we don't see that culture. Some of you do because you work in that field, but many of us don't see the culture like We see it specifically when the Lord points it out to us. We have the benefit of watching the medical world do its its thing with God's help, certainly. And many people are helped in in a lot of different ways. But in in Matthew's day, in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. 
And as a result of all of that lack of help, there were a lot of people that were greatly afflicted and fend for them, had to fend for themselves. And one of the things that they had to do was because nobody would care for them, they had no ability to, to provide for themselves, so they were homeless, often traveling around and living in any way that they could, basically destitute of anything that society could or would do for them. As you can imagine, in that situation, money would be extremely difficult to come by. And this is why there were so many beggars, people who literally made it their living to beg for alms, as we see in the scripture, people who would look for people to help them because they had no way to help themselves. And I'm certain that it's true that families did what they could do. There certainly would be loved ones or people who were kind in nature and do whatever they needed to do and could do to help the needs of the people. But even that, they were very lacking in their knowledge and their ability to do anything that would make a difference or lacking in their provisions. You know, it was a time when people needed everything that they could get for themselves. And so it was tough to make such a a help to people. Unlike our day, there were no emergency rooms. You You and I have the benefit of just going right across the road here at 29 and having great medical care. We have the University of Virginia we have the hospital on top of the on the top of the mountain, and and medical help is in a lot of places. But they had no such emergency rooms. They had no such hospitals. There was no elderly care. You can imagine we spend a lot of our years preparing for our later life uh, because we know we're going to need help. And thank the Lord we have agencies and societies that can help us. But they had none of that, and so people were in a great great need. There were no orphanages. There were no feeding programs. There was no food banks. There were no places like that. There were no social services. There were no foster homes. There were no people left to care for children. And often when parents died, children were left to walk the streets and to grow up as little vagabonds themselves and fending fending for themselves in whatever way they could do it, often turning to thievery and uh, however else they could feed themselves. Those who did have proper care if they were so fortunate, often looked down on those people who were sick as if God had blessed them in some way differently from other people, even thinking of other people as being the way they were because they were sinful, and that's why they were in that condition. And we know this from Scripture because Job was accused in his affliction, even though this was not the reason, but Job was accused by his three friends who came to him and said, surely you're like this or it's like this for you because you are under some sin that you're not making aware to God and he's punishing for you, punishing you for it. And even when Jesus called the disciples, they also felt the same way and believed the same thing. In John chapter 9, we read that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he would be born blind. You see, the the question in their mind is, certainly there's a problem. This man's heart is wrong, and so God is punishing him. But Jesus gives us this beautiful answer where he says in verse 3, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, which would have been just a staggering statement to these people. But it was so, and listen to this. I want you to hinge on this verse. This almost could be the text this morning. It was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow, what a statement. What a statement. After having believed for all their life, basically, that 
People who were afflicted were this way because God had cursed them. God now himself turns it around and says, no, God is using them to put himself on display, basically. Far different picture than what people normally think. There was a time when Pilate uh, had some worshipers from Galilee killed while they were worshiping inside the temple. Now, we don't know much about that, but historically we know it to be true. And Jesus makes reference of it in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, when he says, Do not suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now that's an also a very alarming statement. As Jesus is pointing to this dreadful situation that happened and correcting their thinking, always teaching, always clarifying, saying, no, I have come basically this to help you to examine your heart because if you don't examine your heart, you'll not only suffer potentially a fate like these people, but you will suffer a far greater fate of damnation for eternity if your heart is not made right before me. On another occasion, there were 18 people, we're told in Scripture, who were killed by a tower that fell in Siloam. Again, we don't know much about this, but they must have been thinking, the people must have thought that these people also were sinners or have sinned in some way because Jesus addresses that as well. In Luke 13, 4, do not suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you see the continuous question the Lord is posing? And remember, he's just finished this amazing sermon. And so he's continually reiterating in the Gospels, the heart of the person needs to be what's examined over and over and over again. Don't think for a second that you are out from under the judging hand of God just because you are who you are and that nothing has come upon you and as if that's the reason that you're so blessed. No, God is saying, make sure that you have repented and turned your life over to the Lord himself. And so it's not because of any particular sin, but because really of sin in general that these things happen. I mean, the world comes uh, with what it does or gets what it gets because we live in a cursed world, not because of one man's sinfulness necessarily. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't judge according to that person's life on that person specifically, but that's not the case, and the Lord is making that very clear. What he is saying is that no matter what the condition here is in the world for you, there's a judgment that's coming that's far greater for those who will not repent and turn to him as God. And so, again, you can see pretty clearly here that Jesus' mission is to do one thing. That is to prove his messianic kingship. He is proving himself to be the Lord. And he's going to do that by performing miracles and doing various healings and other unexplainable things that only God knows and God can do to restore life to anyone who will surrender their hearts to him. And this is a beautiful picture of our Lord. Notice what the Lord said in Mark 2. I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And of course, you and I would say, that's me, Lord. That's me because God has made it very clear that we are all sinners in need of his saving saving grace. All right, now, that's our introduction for this. So let's let's jump in now to this very first person. We're going to look at three of them, not this morning. We're just going to look at the first one, a very pitiful person. 
a very pitiful, pitiful person. Notice in verse 2, Matthew again says, A leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, as Matthew tells us in verse 1, there were many people who heard the Lord's sermon and they followed him. And they followed him for really one of two reasons. One was because, as we're told in Matthew's gospel, as he concludes the chapter there before this one, that he taught as one having authority. He was different. There was something unique about the Lord. He did something that nobody else did in the scribal teachings. He actually taught like he knew what he was talking about. And so they were intrigued by his amazing ability and followed him. And so that's where we are now as he leads us now, he being Jesus and Matthew writes this, leads us to this man who is afflicted with a this gross disease called leprosy. Well, what is leprosy? Well, some of you may know this already, but the word or the root word of leprosy comes from the word that means scaly. Okay, So you can kind of imagine the external body parts of a person who has leprosy to look somewhat scaly, which would really describe the look of the skin, of course, and how that would appear in our eyes. People have said in its severest form, the skin takes on kind of like a spongy, kind of boil-like, tumorish swelling that would grow across the entire body. Uh, Externally, of course, but they also know now medically that internally this would be an issue for the person. Not only would they be afflicted externally on their body, but their organs and their bones would be afflicted by this disease. Uh, I learned that in study that most medical historians believe that it probably originated in Egypt. And, and the only thing I could find on that was that there was a mummy that was unearthed or discovered that was autopsied. And they discovered that it had leprosy, the person it had leprosy. And so it's believed that this is where it started. Uh, in my mind, it makes sense that there was leprosy in Egypt because when the Hebrew people left, you'll remember that God gave them through Moses the law of how to deal with leprosy very, very specifically. And we'll look at this in just a minute in in Leviticus 13. Uh, The person had to go to the priest. The priest had to examine them, uh, set them aside for seven days. If they came back and they still showed signs, they put them apart for 14 more days. And if they were found to have this condition and they were not only quarantined, but they were pronounced unclean officially by the law of God, and then they had to dwell outside the camp. In fact, in Leviticus 13:46, this is what we read, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now there's some really interesting things that the Lord points out here in this passage. Notice, first of all, he says that his clothes shall be torn. And you say, well, what's that for? Well, it obviously is a picture for the people around this person to know that something's wrong. But the tearing of clothing would be a sign of mourning as well. If you know the Jewish culture and the history of Jews, that would be a great sign. But also because leprosy would show up in the clothing. 
it would penetrate from the skin and, and go into the clothing so that there was an issue even with the clothing. But I think even more so, and I want to kind of flip the page as we think through these things, that God was also giving to us a picture of how sin exposes itself even from our own hearts. That as much as sin is internal to us and manifests itself in a lot of different ways, that it it, it begins to leak out of our bodies, if you will. And I'm not talking about just in body odor. I'm talking about how we become ugly in our personalities. We become, by nature, evil and wicked people to the point where we have such a rotten smell to us in our attitudes that the Lord would point out that we are sinners even by that. And so there's some interesting pictures here if you just kind of think through this a little bit. Notice he was also told to uncover his head. Another way to expose the leprosy, no doubt. There was not to be any kind of hiddenness from this because it was such a dreaded disease. They wanted people to know that it was an issue. But I think this was also a way to expose the heart of the person. There's nothing covered. I'm open before you. This would be the picture of the repentant heart that says, I have nothing to hide from you, Lord. There's no hat over my head. There's no uh, knowledge. There's no possession over me that would keep me from being exposed to you fully. And then, if you can imagine this, to have to go and shout, as we're told here, unclean, unclean. As we're told in Leviticus 13, that was a way for the priest to know the people to know that this was, in fact, the skin issue. Now, there were some other skin issues, too, that are talked about in Leviticus, uh, but this specifically was what the Lord was told before they would find out for sure what was happening. I think this was also, though, on the spiritual sense, and I'll show you this in a second, God saying that your sin, Israel, is unclean to me. You are an unclean people. And we know that because of what, Jeremiah says in his day when he and the people were deported and taken out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was overrun by their enemies. And the reason that they were overrun, you remember, is because God was judging them because of their sinful hearts. They had rejected him. And what's really fascinating is as a lament, the prophet Jeremiah then would write this by the power of the Spirit in Lamentations 4, 15. Depart unclean, they cried of themselves. Depart, depart, do not touch. So they fled and wandered. Men among the nations said, they shall not continue to dwell with us. If you go back and you look at Lamentations, that's exactly what the book is about. It's a lament from the heart, from the nation of Israel, lamenting the fact that God was judging them and they had been removed from their homeland. But interestingly, they cry out with the same words, unclean, unclean. We are unclean before the Lord. We are under his judgment and we need desperately to be clean, to be cleansed. And so if you just kind of begin to put those thoughts together, you begin to see the purpose of the Lord here as he has us encounter this leprous man. And leprosy was a tragic disease. There's no question about it. We're going to look at that in just a minute more specifically. But spiritually, the Lord is using this leper to make a spiritual point. 
He wants the people around him to understand as much as he had just taught about the uniqueness of the man or woman of God, it's as if he gives a visual picture of what he was just preaching about immediately as they come down from the mountain. Number one, yes, to show his healing power and that he is divinely qualified because of his healing power to be the Messiah and the people would need to see that. But secondly, again, as we've been talking, to show the effects of sin. And then thirdly, to show how Israel will be pronounced unclean if they don't repent and turn to the Lord and make sure that they follow him to which the Lord will gladly heal them as well. And we know that because Paul will bring that up again in the church's letter, in the letter to the church in Rome. Now, to make matters even worse for the victim, beyond all that, the Jews made a ruling, and you'll love this, that you couldn't come within six feet of the leper. I was wondering earlier this morning as we were talking about this whether they had the little sticky dots on the floor. You know, keep your distance, six feet. Well, that's what they were told to do. And if the wind was blowing, they were limited to their contact within 50 feet. Why was that? Well, because it was an airborne disease. It could be passed on that way. Now, in more recent years, we've known that this has been discovered as uh, Hansen's disease. So it's not really called leprosy much anymore, but you will hear it called Hansen's disease. And it's been known to transfer, as I said, by air, through breathing it in, or even by touch. This really becomes fascinating. And I think that there is an interesting parallel here between what the Lord is teaching us and even COVID-19. It's almost as if the Lord is sending to us a message, the world I'm talking about, that yes, he is the healer. But it's almost as if the Lord is saying that if you don't repent of your sins, if you just look at COVID-19 purely from a spiritual perspective, it's very similar to what we're reading right here. God is saying, you are unclean internally. And I want to use COVID to display for you the wickedness of every human heart that must be cleansed if it's going to come to me in righteousness and, and be a part of my kingdom. It's an interesting thought. I had this thought as I was putting this together that maybe the Lord is saying to us, uh, just as he said to the people in Jesus' day, that you want to know what really is unclean? It's your heart. Far more unclean than anything COVID-19 spreads. In other words, if COVID-19 is so bad, then imagine how wicked your heart is before the Lord. And the distance that God would put between you and him if you don't repent. Let's go back to leprosy here for a minute and get the full effect of what we know from this dreadful disease. William Hendrickson in his commentary writes this. He says, leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be a thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness pro progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begin to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the affected individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see the person in this pitiable 
condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it. For the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. As if, and if you say with him, if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a particular taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. And I don't know about you, but as I think through the spiritual picture of this, I hear the Lord saying to even my own heart as a person cursed by the sinfulness of the world and as a person being in a sinful world, that we have the putrid smell of sin all over us in the presence of his holiness. In fact, when we become born again or when we're rescued out of our sin, we're told by God that we are to be a fragrance that is pleasing and a pleasing aroma. It's an interesting picture as you put these things together. Dr. Paul Brand, who is an expert on Hansen's disease, says this, Hansen's disease, also known as HD, and that's how we refer to it here, is cruel, but not at all the way other diseases are. It primarily acts as an anesthetic, numbing the pain cells of hands, feet, nose, ears, and eyes. Not so bad, really, one might think. Most diseases are feared because of their pain. What makes a painless disease so horrible, then? Hansen's disease, numbing quality, is precisely the reason such fabled destruction and decay of tissue occurs. For thousands of years, people thought HD caused the ulcers on hands and feet and face, which eventually led to rotting flesh and loss of limbs. Mainly through Dr. Brand's research, it has been established that in 99% of the cases, HD only numbs the extremities. The destruction follows solely because the warning system of pain is gone. How does the decay happen? Well, in villages of Africa and Asia, a person with HD has been known to reach directly into a charcoal fire to retrieve a dropped potato. Nothing in his body told him not to. Patients at Brand's Hospital in India would work all day gripping a shovel with a protruding nail or extinguish a burning wick with their bare hands or walk on splintered glass. Watching them, Brand began formulating his radical theory that HD was chiefly anesthetic and only indirectly a destroyer. On one occasion, he tried to open a door of a little storeroom, but a rusty padlock would not yield. A patient, an undersized, malnourished 10-year-old, approached him smiling. Let me try, Sahib, doctor, he offered and reached for the key. With a quick jerk of his hand, he turned the key in the lock. Bran was dumbfounded. How could this weak youngster out-exert him? His eyes caught a telltale clue. Was that a drop of blood on the floor? Upon examining the boy's fingers, Bran discovered the act of turning the key had gashed a finger open to the bone. Skin, fat, and joint were all exposed. Yet the boy was completely unaware of it. To him, the sensation of cutting his finger to the bone was no different from picking up a stone or turning a coin in his pocket. The daily routines of life ground, life ground away at the HD patient's hands and feet, but no warning system alerted him. If an ankle turned, tearing a tendon and muscle, he would adjust and walk crooked. If a rat chewed off a finger in the night, he would not discover it missing until the next morning. It's a gross disease. It's a horrible disease. 
In fact, Philip Yancey wrote in his book, Where Are You, God, When It Hurts?, wrote this by a man named Stanley Stein, who was the author of Alone No Longer, who wrote about uh, um, leprosy, says, he himself would recognize a man who went blind because of another cruel kirk of HD. Each morning he would wash his face with a hot washcloth, but neither his hand nor his face was sensitive enough to temperature to warn him that he was using scalding water. And gradually he destroyed his eyes with his daily washing. Now again, I point these things out not to gross you out, but to simply say that these things in God's mind become for us a picture of the effects of the sinfulness on our hearts, the nature of our sin. How many people have done just what is described here in a spiritual sense as if they don't even recognize where their soul is headed? And they have no knowledge and understanding and no sensation to the fact that their life is under the judgment of God and are headed to eternal destruction. So I believe that what the Lord is showing us here is a really a very profound picture is that the person who is immersed in sin, and again, that's all of us, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of, the, of God. If it's not for the rescuing, healing, merciful power of the Lord Jesus Christ who came to give his life in our place, we too would be just like these leprous souls. I mean, it's really the the mark of truth here. Now, if all that's not bad enough for the leper, in a physical sense, they also had to remove themselves from daily life. Imagine the isolation in this of having to live outside of the camp. Of course, to protect other people, which was the requirement. But just imagine for a moment that you're the leper and that you're now having to live away from everybody else. In a spiritual sense, that message would simply be the effects of sin have so violated the things of God that he removes you also from the camp, from the family of God, from the people who belong to him. Because one day, everybody who will not repent of, his, of, of their sin will not enter into the kingdom of God. And we saw that in Revelation 22, verse 15, bless, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. So all throughout the scriptures, the gospels give us this beautiful display of the love of Christ because he came to rescue us from certain doom if we don't repent. And this is the picture given to us. And now Jesus is making his way down the mountain. He's given that message. And now he encounters this man who the world would say, gross, he is unclean. Stay away from him. They were probably covering their mouths, backing up because it was such a gross sight and that's how they treated the people. But the Lord is saying, all right, at this point, I want you to start examining your heart because it well may be that your heart is far more leprous and disease-ridden than this leprous man is externally than you could ever imagine. Now, This is also where we see the amazing work of the Lord. So let's look at his beautiful display of healing and grace and mercy. Look at verse 2 again. So the leper comes to him and bows down before him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me 
clean. Before we look at what Jesus did, let me ask a question. What do you think it took for the leper to come to Jesus at this point? And we've just described the heinousness of his body, most likely. And we've described how the culture, the community would have uh, been affected by him and how they would have responded to him. So what do you think it took internally for him to be able to come to Jesus? Well, I think both of these were true. There was certainly a willingness on his part, but I think it was a desperation without question. This man, I believe, knew that there was no help for him and the only person who could help him was the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he didn't care who saw him. I think he knew that he had been living so many years with the shame and the ridicule and the treatment as if he were the problem as a result of, of because of his, his uh, leprosy. had to overcome all that. He had to overcome the humiliation and all of the things that describe that, the ridicule on his heart and perhaps even on his family, the disgrace, the depression of knowing that he, or even if it were a she, because women had it too, of not being able to see loved ones again, to have to live away from them forever, knowing that you'll never be able to be with them. And so I just have to believe that somehow this man knew enough about Jesus to know however he knew about Jesus, whether he overheard him on the, on the sermon or whether he had just gotten wind of him from other people, that he believed in his heart and the Spirit was bearing witness that this man, Jesus, could help him. And he wouldn't treat him like everybody else did. Our Lord is so unique, isn't he? Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus treats you differently than the world does? As the world looks at you and comments and makes their judgments about who they say you are, that the Lord looks at your heart first. Again, it could be that maybe on the other side of the coin, this man was just desperate. And there are a lot of people like that, people who are looking for Jesus because they just want to be fixed. can't tell you the number of people in my life that I've encountered that just get so excited about Jesus, but really what they want is they just want a miracle so that they can, he'll fix their life and then they go on their way. And their life ends up proving that. In fact, the Lord tells us, even when we're selecting leaders in the church, that we're to watch their lives carefully, examine them to make sure that they're not just excited about something and after the excitement dies off, they'll go another direction. And so it could have been that. I mean, that might have been the situation here. But there was certainly a desperation about him. But either way, we see the responses of this man's heart. And as the Lord desires to fulfill it, um, this totally uh, disfigured person. I think also, secondly, that maybe there was a real reverence in this man, and that becomes pretty apparent by him calling Jesus Lord. And that word for Lord is kurios. It means Lord, Master, God. It's the word that's used to identify God himself. And so he is acknowledging Jesus as God as the one who can heal him, and he confesses his great need to the Lord. And as ugly as this man is, who is bound and, and determined by the crowd to be in the law of God, to be left outside of the camp, and don't forget the law, the law part, we'll get to that in just a minute. In his heart, he really longed to be clean. 
And I think that's so important that we, we hear this. He, he so longed for God to touch him and be changed forever. I think it took a great humility for him to come. Notice what he says also in verse 2. If you're willing, boy, what a statement. So often we shake our fist at God and we say, God, you're God, why aren't you fixing this? But that's not the heart of a person who's truly repentant. This man displays the heart of a truly repentant person. If you're willing, he makes no demands on God. Never assumes that he deserves the help. And that's so often our case. Lord, I've served you. I've done this. I've been this way. I've been kind. I've been gracious. I've given money. I've served this, that, and this other thing. I've been a good public figure. And we assume we deserve God's help and not this man. He abandoned himself to his condition and to the will of the Lord. And he just says, Lord, if you're willing, knowing with that kind of statement that God may say, no, I'm not willing. Such a beautiful picture of the heart of surrender, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus had just been preaching? When he started out with the Beatitudes and he gave us all the descriptions of the person who truly belongs to him, that one who, like that publican who beat his chest and said, Lord, I'm not worthy to be your child. And then the one who was supposedly the teacher of Israel stood and said, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I'm glad I'm holy. Well, God's people, he's saying to us, listen, my, my people understand that if it weren't for me and my righteousness, they'd have no hope. And so they long for my touch and my embrace claiming no right to anything. We don't have a right to the kingdom, do we? The kingdom is given to us as a gift. Salvation is a gift. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we did to make God say, oh, yeah, I better give it to them or they're going to get upset with me. I think this man obviously believed in the power of God because look what he says, you can make me clean. You can do it. You can do it. Can you imagine? Don't you just kind of wish we had the background of all of this guy? And what led him to this point as he's the Spirit of God obviously working in him. And he finally comes to this place and he's just not going to let Jesus go any further until he comes out and he doesn't care about what the crowd says. And he says, you can make me clean. I know you can. And beloved, listen, if only God's people truly believe that. That God could truly make us clean. <clears throat> what do you think the things we would see before us would be? And didn't the Lord say to the disciples in Matthew 17, For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, you've heard uh, messages on that before, that it's the tiniest of seeds, at least one of the tiniest in Palestine in the time. And Jesus says, you will say to this mountain, move from here and there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. I think about what we're going through right now and all the foolishness, the ridiculousness of the world, the crazy ideas and how deeply we're diving more and more and more into sin and the nations around us are diving deeper into sin. Would it be that God would say to the church, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, COVID would be gone? That the nations would be free again? That my spirit would be alive in the hearts of people? Would it be if we as God's people really believed 
like this leprous man did and didn't care about what the culture thought of us and we just proclaim the truth of God and let God do the work that God will do, would we not see the work of the Lord? Yes, we would because the Lord said we would. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If we know we're lost, beloved God has promised to us that he will heal the land and heal the nations. He told Israel that. Second Chronicles. And you know, just talking about lostness, if you've ever been lost, you know the terror that comes with that. Again, you have your phone, you have your GPS, you have your Alexa, you have your Siri, you, know, you have the old, what was it, the little Garmin thing that was on your dashboard, and that was all pretty awesome, right? You remember when all that came out? When my dad passed away just last year, back in September, he gave me the truck, and I was going through it, and, and I found, because dad was old school, I found a pile of maps in his door, <laughs> And I started thinking about the number of times my dad would look up something on a map because that's what he had, right? Uh, so when in those days, before we had all of these devices, you remember well, you'd go somewhere and you'd say, all right, let me just get the map out here because I think we're lost. If the husband was uh, not too proud, he would say, honey, I think we're lost. <laughs> and she'd get out the map and say, well, let's look. And... Uh, and there was a, a sense of helplessness that would come with that. Who are we going to call? Where are we? I don't know where the nearest phone is. We're, we're in the country and, and there's no phone booth. And You remember those things? That was a real thing. The territory is all unfamiliar. We don't know the people around here. And heaven forbid it would be at night. Or if it's raining, you're on the interstate. It's dark. Storm's coming. You get the picture, right? What do people do in that case? Well, a lot of things. Sometimes they yell and scream. They light fires. Wave people down with bright flags, yell and scream. Why? Because they need to be found, right? They want to be found. They don't want to be lost. They don't want to be on their own. Listen, the point is sin has caused us all to be lost. It doesn't matter what you plug into your GPS. It's not going to get you found. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. I guess the other picture would be take your phone and plug in, you know where it says, when you hit the little arrow that says directions, gives you your location. Maybe you should instead of typing an address in, you just put Jesus. And it will lead you right to him. The way he leads us to him is to acknowledge our hearts are in desperate need of his saving grace. And that was this leper. That was this man. Listen, he had no hope. There was nothing left. He took it upon himself even to violate the word of God, which was the law. And he came to Jesus, no matter what the crowd said, because he knew there was nothing else that he could do, and he wanted so desperately to be found. And notice the beautiful response of the Lord in verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. You don't touch a leper. But Jesus did. Notice what he says. I am willing. Don't you love that about the Lord? Be cleansed. 
And in a year and a half, the man was cleansed. That's not what it says, is it? Immediately. Immediately. The man was cleansed. Immediately. I don't know about you, but I think about this man's life just a little bit more. Let's, let's start with what we don't know. I alluded to this earlier. We don't know really anything about him. We don't know how long he had had leprosy. <clears throat> we don't know long, how long he had had to deal with the culture, how long he had had to shout unclean, to be away from his family, to enjoy the physical touch of a loved one. And you know God built us to need physical touch. You know that? I remember when Debbie and I were in Romania numerous times, and we've told you this before, but those of you who may have not heard this before, there's a hospital there that we would always go. Our team leader wanted us to go. And on the seventh floor, there was a, a ward for children uh, that were there that had been abandoned. And we go in and, and you see these children with deformities and all kinds of things. And there was this one little precious little baby there, little girl. I remember still in my mind, I think she wore pink little onesie kind of thing. She was no bigger than this. And, and people were just kind of rubbing her back. And that was one of the things we were able to do. And, and, and I, I remember learning. You remember this? I remember learning that she was 16 years old. I'm like, what? And they said, yeah. We believe that because she was so deprived from physical touch and the caressing care of a mother, even though she was cared for, but the Romanians didn't touch them. They just kind of dealt with them. Um, it stunted her growth. And so in age, that's what her age is, but her body is still like an infant. And it was so fascinating to me. I read this article this week, and I wanted to read it for you. It comes from Mind and Body, and it talks. the title is, Why Physical Touch Matters for Your Well-Being. It was just done back in 2018. Tiffany Field, head of Touch Research Institute at the University of Miami's Miller School of Medicine, traveled to different airports in Florida to watch people interacting. A researcher who has studied touch for more than four decades, Field made a shocking discovery. Nobody was touching each other. Everyone was on their phone. Quote, I think social media has been really detrimental to touch, unquote. Quote, being on the phone is distancing people physically from each other. It used to be in airports you'd see people hugging and napping on each other. Now they're just not touching. Watch this. The science of touch came of age in the mid-90s when two scientists traveled to Romania to examine the sensory deprivation of children in understaffed orphanages. The touch-deprived children, they found, had strikingly lower cortisol and growth development levels for their age group. From the time we are in the womb through our elderly years, touch plays a primary role in our development and physical and mental well-being. New studies on touch continue to show the importance of physical contact in early development, communication, personal relationship, and fighting disease. Although the therapeutic benefits have become increasingly clear, Field argues that thanks to no-touch policies in school and the isolating effects of cell phones and computers, Americans are touching each other less. And so the writer asked this question to her, what have been the most surprising findings from your research? Well, we found that message that massage actually increases natural killer cells. Natural killer cells are the front lines of the immune system. They kill viral cells, bacterial cells. We found it first in men who had HIV, and then we'd studied adolescents who had HIV and found the same results. 
Then we studied breast cancer and again found an increase in natural killer cells. We think that the reason that happens is because we're, knock, we're knocking down the cortisol levels, the body's culprit stress hormone. Cortisol kills natural killer cells, and so if we can reduce the stress hormones, we can save natural killer cells. Well, what are the effects of touch deprivation? Aside from the Romanian case, which is an extreme example, we also compared kids in Paris and kids in Miami. We looked at preschoolers on playgrounds, and we also looked at adolescents in McDonald's restaurants. For the preschoolers, the kids in Paris were getting touched by more by their parents on the playground than kids at Miami. And the kids in Paris were less aggressive with each other than the kids in Miami. We were looking at positive touch and negative touch and what kind of talk was going on. The same pertained to adolescents. We looked at those kids interacting with each other. And in Paris, the kids were touching each other and hugging each other and stroking each other more than kids in Miami. And they were less aggressive both verbally and physically. Well, what do we know about hugging? Well, she says, they injected a cold germ into these people who were in the study and those who had more hugs had a better immune response to the cold virus. And then there are some studies showing that if you get hugged by your partner before a stressful condition, like giving a speech or doing math problems, people do better. Performance is better if they've been hugged by a partner before the stress. Are there lessons we can learn from France and other cultures in terms of how they experience touching? Yeah, And there's also a lot of monkey data showing a direct relationship between aggressiveness and touch deprivation. They put a plexiglass wall between monkeys so they can see, they can hear, they can smell each other, but they can't touch each other. And they become extremely aggressive. In fact, the guy who did these studies reports that they can kill each other when they're touch-deprived like that. Are there ways we should be encouraging more touch in our society? I think we need to have more touch in the school system. And she goes on to talk about that. Can I just say this? I believe with all my heart that COVID-19 is a masterful, masterful thing put out into the world by Satan. I believe it with all my heart. I think that Satan knows exactly what I just read to you. And if he can distance people, he will win the war psychologically and physically. And our bodies will become less immune and capable of fending off viruses and diseases. And he knows how to destroy humanity. Now, that does not mean that God is not using COVID-19. I also, like I said earlier, believe that God is showing us, even through this situation alone by this leprous man, that God is saying, I am allowing COVID-19 to show you the drastic and negative effects of sin, but I am the king of all kings, and I can heal you if you will give your life to me. Otherwise, you will certainly die and you will be eternally damned. And so the Lord, in his graciousness, reaches out and he touches this poor soul, unhindered by the man's condition. Again, don't you just love that? Or what anybody thought. And it just speaks so loudly of our Lord. Do you know that no matter what the sickness of your heart is, the Lord can touch it? He's not afraid to touch it. He's not afraid to heal it. He's not afraid to do what's necessary to make you whole. But notice this. The Lord is just coming down the mountain or the hillside. The leper comes to him. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that the Lord is also telling us here, he requires of us to acknowledge our need of him. 
He wants you and me to not just stand back and say, Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. He wants us to purposefully acknowledge our sin, repent of our sin, and then let him heal our hearts. We've got a role to play in all of this. So, first of all, the healing reminds us of the devastation of sin. That's pretty clear. It's affected every soul. It's like the leprosy that not only affects the external and the internal, it does the same thing. And so God is able to fix not only the external, but the internal as well. Notice what Jesus says and what Matthew tells us in verse 4. Something interesting here. He says, See then, and you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Very interesting words here. In other words, before the leper would be completely absolved, the Lord gives him basically a commandment to follow. And he says, I want you to go and let the priest inspect you. Now, why did he do that? Well, I think there's a couple reasons he did that. And if you look at Leviticus 14, you'll see what was required. It's a pretty lengthy kind of thing, requirements there. I think one of the reasons he did that is because it was, and he says this in verse 4, it would be a testimony to them. Well, who's them? It would be to those people in the crowd and specifically to the religious leaders. They would see that I've done this. This is going to be a miraculous thing. And they would see that this man has been totally and amazingly healed. Because the people would know that historically nobody's been healed from leprosy except for one time in the scriptures. And that was Moses' sister Miriam. You remember that? Well, they would have had the Decalogue and they would have remembered God's or the Pentateuch. They would have remembered what God had written through Moses. And so now Jesus encounters this leprous man who had, no one had ever done this before and instantly he's healed. What does that say? Uh, only God's done that. So who are you? You got it. I'm God come in the flesh. I think secondly, Jesus didn't want anybody to think that he had come to refute the law. He didn't come to be somebody who was going to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. He told us that in Matthew 5, 17. And then it would force also, thirdly, the priest to verify that this was actually a healing. I mean, the wisdom of the Lord is amazing. It's almost like, again, how the Lord, I believe, with COVID-19 is saying to Satan, okay, go ahead. Do what you're going to do. And that's what he told Job. Go ahead, do what you're going to do, only don't take his life. I think God has said to Satan, go ahead, use COVID-19, but I'm going to blow your socks off about how I'm going to use this to rescue people and display my glory. And I think he's doing that, if we'll pay attention. The question is, are we paying attention? Now, sadly, according to Mark 1, the man didn't do that. Mark tells the same situation here. But he went in his excitement, and he told everybody... So he didn't fulfill what God told him to do in his first commandment. Now, the Lord didn't return the sickness, at least from what we understand. He had been healed. But I think the leper proved what people often do. That's what I said earlier, that often people just look for the Lord to do something for them. They'll snuggle up close to him as long as the pain is there or the situation in life. But as soon as the pain is gone... And, the, and there's no more agony over the situation, whatever it might be, 
they kind of get head back into their old lifestyle. And I think the Lord is saying to us here that, listen, when I heal you of the infirmity of sin, I'm expecting you to obey me. Go. Live your life according to my word. By the way, who was the lawgiver that he was talking about? Go show the priests about the law. He was the lawgiver, right? He told the man, go live according to what I have written. And now he says to us the same thing. If you hear my words, then go and obey me. If you want me to heal you of your sin and you're on your way to hell, then come and let me heal you, but then obey me. And we heard this in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Acts upon them. May be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And you know the story. Everything came upon it, but it stood. But conversely, in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain came and what? Great was its fall. You know what I hear the Lord saying again through that? Is that take a lesson from the leper in all of these ways, but look at your heart as being filled with the sin of leprosy, or leprosy as a picture of sin in the sinfulness of our heart's condition. The Lord was willing to clean up this man, but he didn't want to just clean him up for a temporary time. He wanted to change his life forever. So go, show the priest that you've been truly cleansed. And he says to us, you live your life in obedience to my word. What a beautiful picture of the power of God. What a beautiful picture that the Lord is willing with no thought to himself, no pride, no self-will, no rights, no claims to anything. He just sovereignly wants to heal all of those who will come to him for healing. But without obedience to his word, it's as if to make a joke, a mockery of God's healing power. It's to live the hypocrite and to pretend that it's okay to just get something from God when it's not. Listen, it would be better, beloved, for you to never ever assume that God is going to heal you than to come for him for healing and walk away when you're content with what he's done and never really serve him. That's far worse. Far, far worse. And the judgment will be far greater for those people who professed to know the Lord Jesus as Lord and got something from him and walked away never to serve him again. God will have great things to say about that. And you can find that in lots of places in scripture. And so what are we saying, beloved? Jesus can and will heal. And he'll do that for anybody who comes to him with an open heart, with an open spirit, knowing that they need healing. He can do it. Amen? So wherever you find yourself today, don't be afraid. People may be saying to you, oh, well, you're a jerk. You've ruined this. You've made a mess of that. You've ruined your family. You've ruined your marriage. You've ruined your relationship. You've ruined your business. You you feel that leprosy all over you? And the world just wants to push you away. Or what we're experiencing now with COVID-19. I don't have to go into all that again. But when you meet Jesus, he can fix it all. He can fix it all. 
And for that, we praise him. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you over and over and over again. I can only imagine in my mind the excitement that this man must have had to go from apparently, from everything we can tell and what we read scientifically, that he he must have had maybe some horrible facial disfigurement and bald, of course, according to the law, shouting unclean, living a life of solitude. Lord, what a horrible existence. But how much more horrible is the existence of sin in our hearts? As we live outside of the kingdom, never with hope to be healed until Jesus came and gave his life for us. And so, Lord, we we praise you and we honor you and we can stand side by side, arm in arm, locked with this leprous man and understand that you have done everything necessary to cleanse us. And so, Lord, help us to have hearts that will obey and will follow. And we'll be careful to do that with your help. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Y'all stay at once more. All of creation, all of the 